How could we help you live a better, more productive, less challenging environment to your build so once you get into the home, you live better? And that's what Allaire was founded on. But as we started growing, we realized if we built better businesses with better people and better models and systems and work together to collaborate on all of that knowledge information, then we'd have a much more likely hood to reach the mission of helping those people live better. Welcome to Friends of Build Magazine. I'm your host, Ted Bainbridge. I've been traveling the world and working in publications for 30 years. In 2016, we launched our first issue of Build Magazine, a publication dedicated to high-end home construction, renovation, and the innovative experts that make this possible. This podcast was created to have some fun and explore those who have taken on the challenge of building luxury homes in demanding locations. From navigating logistics and construction to excavating the earth, we want to learn more about these people and how their projects became cover-worthy. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. I am here with Adam McKay. He is the chief communications officer for Allaire Homes, and he's got an awesome background. Allaire Homes is a pretty, pretty incredible company that has AllaireHomes.com that has 120 builders around North America that are part of their team, and they're doing some super cool stuff and thinking way outside the box. And the more I get to know what you guys are doing, the more impressed I am. And I'm very excited about our partnership moving forward. Likewise. And uh, first time you and I had a chance to meet, so I wasn't familiar with what you're doing. And we've got very similar backgrounds, being both passionate about golf and publishing. And yeah, it's it, uh, we've had some good talks. So now we're going to have to hope the record works, buddy. I think the record is working, <laughs> but I got to tell you, you are so easy to impress. When you saw our magazine, you went gaga. Mm -hmm. And well, you're in a whole other class by yourself. There's not too many magazines that look like Bill. Let's be fair, man. That is that is you have really guys have worked really hard to get it there. It's it's impressive. Well, it's impressive because we got great partners like you guys who give us great photography, which is what it's all about. Yeah, you got to have good designers. So we've got a great a great team of designers. But if we didn't have home builders and interior designers, architects, and everybody that goes into making dream houses, we'd be nothing. Yep, fair enough. So. All right, let's get this party going again. Let's and do it. the nice part is, is my wife who is lost, because we're at the IBS show, which is massive yes. here in Orlando. My wife who is lost is now listening in because she always likes to critique me after. We need some fans here. I yeah, think we that's do what need was missing fans. from the first one. I know. More, I mean, your company is out of Western Canada, Nanaimo, BC. Yep. And I was teasing your guys last night because as a hockey fan, if you watch any of the games in Canada, there are no fans still. So that's right. At least we have Leslie. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> One is better than none, always. <laughs> always, always. So I want you to go back to your story about uh, you've had some incredible mentors. Yep. And I asked you a question when I was being technically challenged about Tony Robbins and Chet Holmes and what you learned from them. More importantly, as a person and dealing with them as people off, off the big screen, so that when there's nobody around, it's just you guys chatting. Yeah. What you learned from them. Yeah. So maybe first start with, uh, with Chet Holmes, uh, incredible mentor to me, uh, got a chance to, to train with them on the, on the sales side and really learn what it takes to be, you know, a great coach, a great consultant to truly transform somebody's business, to double it, triple it, quadruple it, you know? That's what he was known for. And, is is uh, having a good process that easy to do that? You know, you need a good process, but you need a lot of skill. And you got to have a heck of a lot of belief. In the end of the day, if you're not believing who you are and what you're selling and what you're doing, you're, you're not going to be that successful. So when I first met Chet, you know, I thought, man, this man is so arrogant. He's so cocky, so confident, you know. Um, just on the spot, could call anybody, call anywhere. I mean, this is a guy that called up the head of major corporations and sold them scripts. This guy was, he's written some great movies out there, Chet Holmes, you know, so he used his skills in ways that was just extraordinary that you wouldn't think people could do that. So to me, it was about fundamentals. 
learning how to be a great salesperson takes work like anything else. If you're an offensive lineman, you work on the fundamentals. So you work on having those skill sets. And he truly, Chet Holmes no longer with us, but uh, he was he was an assassin. I mean, he, he literally was a fifth-degree black belt. So he, he'd grown up with all these habits, and if you keep doing the same things eventually, you're going to create all that momentum. So I learned a lot about the fundamentals, learned a lot about strategy and not tactics, learned a lot. What's the difference? Yeah, it's a great question, and, and some people probably might not think about it. It's pretty fundamental, but a strategy basically is going to be a long-term goal. It's something that's going to get us to the place we ultimately want to be. A tactic is going to be one of those tasks or things that we do along the way that helps us get to that strategy. So you ultimately need both. You know, Chet Holmes was a great speaker. He'd get get in front of the room and, and really be able to lead people. Very, very confident, good speaker, but really good content. He used to say, you know, public speaking is really hard. And most of the time people want to go on stage, they want to sell themselves, they want to sell whatever it is they're doing. And the people in the audience don't really like that. Just like a one-on-one environment. Most of us don't want to be sold anything, uh, but we're always excited about buying something until somebody wants to sell us something. So he said, you know, think about going out to make a speech. Imagine if your audience, uh, your dream audience, your ideal clients were all in the room. So we'll do it with, with you, Ted, for a second. All those great builders that might ever advertise and build magazine, put a thousand of them in the room. Now, what do we want to do when we go on stage? Let's just say we've got a minute, one minute. What are we going to say to that room? that's going to propel them forward to ultimately want to buy from us. Now, most people go out on stage and they would start pumping the features. It's natural human nature, right? Well, it's a good magazine. I mean, it looks good and it's effective and we've got, you know, blah, 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 right? And people might not want to hear that. And so ultimately, most people would probably come out and speak something that's very tactical. And that would be human nature. What Chet would say is, before you go out on stage and you think about the tactics, what do you truly want to accomplish? That's a strategy. Most people don't think about the strategy in life or in a speech. They walk right onto stage and they start talking. Well, we're build, you know, we've been in around seven years. We're now in 50 markets. We've got these things, but yet we didn't have a chance to know you. Who were you, the speaker? Where's the credibility? So strategy, Chet would pull us back and say, hey, before we go out there, let's think about this. What exactly do we want to accomplish? Do you want everybody in the room to respect you? Oh, yeah, definitely of do course. that. Yeah. Do you want everybody in the room um, to, to build trust with them? Yeah. Yeah. Right. So, so now those become the strategies. The tactics are what are you going to do or not do to bring that to life? And it's so fundamental. It's so simple. But a lot of times people don't teach us these things in school. People don't teach us these things that could really propel you forward. So those are skills. And when you use them, and you get better at them, you raise those skills. But training was something I had never had until I got around these guys. I had a little bit of training, maybe reading books and going to classes. But training, like when I first started with them, uh, I had to train two hours a day, 365 days a week. I mean, 365 days a year, basically not. Let me say that one more time. Six days a week, even on Saturdays for two hours, we were being fundamentally trained as salespeople to, to be the best on the phone, to just be have the opportunity to ultimately be a consultant and represent Chet and ultimately Tony's brand. And so long story short, Chet Holmes and Tony Robbins merged, had a chance to uh, learn a lot more about Tony Robbins and the side of his business of coaching people and mentoring them and learning how good of a speaker he was and what were the, the secrets to, to change people's lives, to improve them, and ultimately how to get breakthroughs. And then that turned into the business side. So I got a chance to be around a lot of great people behind the scenes and see what it truly takes to be at that level. You know, that's the exciting thing. When you get around people that are, you know, the Tom Brady's or whoever they are, and you, and you really have a chance to realize, like, they didn't get there by luck. They put a lot of work in. They truly do have the skill. and that motivated me. Being around them, it realized I wanted to be a sponge. I wanted to learn more so that I could grow more, so I could give more. So you just said something really fascinating, and that is Tony Robbins and Chet Holmes merge. Tony Robbins was huge with, I think it was called Personal Power. Yep. I think I took the course, well, I don't think, I did take the course 30 years ago. Chet Holmes, I have that red book. I don't yeah, know the what ultimate uh, Selling Machine. Yeah, the yeah. Ultimate Selling Machine. So 
What is somebody as successful as Tony? Because I'm more familiar with him. Obviously, yep. he's a bigger. Well, he's a more known commodity. A oh yeah, no, more known brand. Sure. What does he learn from Chet? It's a great question. So the the story that I understand, and this happened long before I was there, but apparently Chet Holmes' ideal customer was Tony Robbins. He wrote it down 17 years ago before they merged. He started calling Tony Robbins and emailing him, sending him letters, going way back, just saying, man, I can help you. I can grow your business faster, better than anybody can. And Chet just ignored him. I mean, Tony ignored me, didn't know who he was. There was a point that Chet once told us that he called or wrote Tony every single week for 17 years. He's, so, he's relentless. Like Chet is, the, think of the fifth degree karate black belt, like relentless. This sounds like Wall Street. Literally crazy. Like, and he, he's serious. Like this is not an exaggeration. He literally, for 17 years, called or wrote Tony Robbins telling him this. And we heard Tony talk about it in private calls, like telling us this guy called me. So eventually even somebody like Tony's like, man, I got to give this guy a chance. You know what I mean? Like he just will. Yeah. Who is this dude? So Tony gives him an opportunity, I guess, like right on to just build is improve his lead. Something that Chet was a master was script writing and certainly radio ads. So he really converted Tony from trying to sell an event to getting value if you subscribe or potentially sign up for the event. So instead of trying to sell the ticket, let's sell content. And from the content, you'll buy the ticket. And he promised, you know, Tony, I can't remember. We'll 10x whatever your budget was. And he did it. First try, one try, did it. Give me another one, did it. So there was an opportunity. Chet wanted to ultimately build an event for Tony that was business called Business Mastery. So he had unleashed the power within all these other personal yeah, yeah. programs, but no business program. So eventually they decided to merge. Chet ultimately, after 17 years, convinced Tony to be his partner, convinced him to create a new event that he would ultimately speak at. And they created this business breakthrough. So we, we were working for a firm called Chet Holmes International. Yep. One year and a half later, we're now working for business breakthroughs and- we had a chance to 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 reach a lot of Tony's audience worldwide, a lot of entrepreneurs, a lot of businesses, different industries. I think at the time I worked there over the couple of years, I think I worked in a hundred different industries. Just fascinating. Working with different business owners, watching people live the American dream, beat their competitors, not it's just incredible learning experience. So couldn't replace those times. Okay. So what is the difference from one industry to another, or are they all the same? That's such a good question. Um, so when it comes to like, and just, I'm talking core, core basics yeah, totally. on how to make them succeed. That's right. It's a, it's a great question. Obviously every industry is going to have its, uh, you know, you have to have knowledge of the industry, but when you get on the side I'm on where we're really trying to just scale and grow businesses, we're trying to ultimately improve sales because every business improves by more sales, right? If we have more money coming in, assuming we can keep our costs down, yep. that's how we make a profit. So once I had the skills and I had done it personally and I helped other smaller businesses do it, working with a larger business, the industry didn't matter, but it matters to them. Because if you own your own business out there and say you're a, a, a custom home builder, remodeler, for you to go get coaching from somebody that doesn't know custom home building or remodeling, it doesn't make sense. Mm -hmm. But we all know that's what we need. You're the expert in custom home building. You need an expert in business. So. I can't tell you how many times I'm sitting in front of somebody and they're being presented with an opportunity to go into a monthly agreement where we're going to consult and grow your business. And they're wanting to know, well, how much you know knowledge do you have on you know this type of robots? Zero. Nothing. And if I did, you shouldn't hire me. Right? So you have to learn that the fundamentals of business are the same. No, nope, doesn't matter what industry you're in. We have to produce more sales. To do that, we need better stories, better positioning, all these other tactics and ingredients and skill sets that's going to make it work. So uh, I know a little bit about golf now. I'm fortunate to know a little bit about home building, but I don't, I'm not an expert in all those industries. I truly am an expert in business and communication. And that's something that uh, if you can take advantage of it, every business has an opportunity to move the needle if that business owner and that team is being willing and open to being coached. And that's hard for someone to be coached by somebody who's not an expert in the same field they're in. You know, we just hired a, a, a business coach. I was telling you yesterday, uh, Lou Jaffa, and he's with CEO Coaching. Yep. And Great company. 
Oh, and they have some monster coaches. They do. I mean, just monster coaches. They have a lot of the people that were already successful that that didn't want to go out and be coaches. They're already successful. There are more people that want to give back. And I've read about that organization, and that's cool. Who wouldn't want a mentor as a coach that's already done it? So tell me about your guy. So we... I, I find him through a friend of mine, uh, his name's Alan Solon in Atlanta. And Alan's a very, very successful uh, business guy, used to be a, own a uh, oddly enough, owned an ad agency, and then he was a real estate developer. Okay. And now he's got a huge company that uh, sells conservatories. And what that is, is if you have say you've got $5 million in tax liability, you can actually put it into a real estate investment that freezes that land so that nobody can ever develop it. And the government will give you a $5 million tax deduction. So it makes it from the standpoint, and I'm not the expert here, I'm just kind of paraphrasing a little bit, but it's a net zero to the person. Okay. You're either going to give it to the IRS or you're going to go save this land. Right. And so that's what he does. And and I've known Alan for 15 or 16 years, and he is, he, his his business went from, he was doing well, to yep. now he lives in a 3,000 square foot penthouse in Buckhead, and his patio is 3,000 square feet, and it's the only, it's the <laughs> only um, unit on the top of this building on the 32nd floor in the middle of Buckhead in Atlanta. Wow. So, so I said to him, uh, we went to the SEC championship game and he's got four tickets on the 50, 17 rows up. He's got four tickets on the floor of the Hawks. So obviously this guy's doing really well. Sure. And so I go, okay, what's, you know, he goes, Ted, you need coaching. And he's such an active participant. Yeah. Like he's such a cheerleader and, and he's a smart business guy, but he's fun to be around because he's interested in what's going on. He goes, I love what you're doing. He goes, and, and build magazine. He goes, I've known you a long time. That's a winner. You need coaching. And I go, well, tell me about it. And so that's how I found out. And then the coach that they assigned us, um, he, he, you know, you talk about credibility because it's not about, well, here are the features and benefits and all this. It's build credibility. Who are you? So this guy says, Okay, so here's a little bit about my background. He goes, I built three companies from scratch. The two guys who started Zoom used to work for me because I'm in the teleconferencing uh, industry. Yeah. And he goes, uh, one company I sold for half a billion dollars, and in today's dollars, that's $2 billion. And, and he goes, so, and I've done it three times. And I go, okay. And so we start talking, and he goes, and now I'm a, I'm a professor at two different universities. Loyola Marymount in LA and um, Florida Atlantic in in Florida, and he goes and I don't take my salary; I donate it to the entrepreneurial class at the university. He goes because I don't need the money; it doesn't mean anything to me. And he goes and I coach. He goes I'm really bad at billing because it doesn't ma- the money doesn't matter; it doesn't change my life. I could care less about right. That. Um, and so wow. we've gotten to know him. We actually went golfing with him last week while we were in Palm Beach. And just to listen to him, to your point, he goes, I don't know anything about publishing, but he starts asking us questions and he's got some, some, I'll call them handouts for lack of a better word, but they're all on Google Docs. And it's just, it's getting it to that thought process of, okay, who's your ideal customer? How do you train your, you know, Mm -hmm. some of the things. And as I'm listening to you, see, that's the beauty of life is if you decide, and I think it's a conscious it is. It's a conscious commitment. If you decide to always want to learn and seek out new stuff, I, I'm 59. Yeah. People say, what are you going to retire? My wife and I have been retired our whole life because we do what we want whenever we want to do yep. it. Freedom. Freedom, right? And so retirement to me is when you're dead. Yeah. And let's go have some fun along the way and meet some really cool people like you and learn about, I'm, I'm, and we're going to get into it on the call. I want you to share about a lair. Because it's a paradigm compared to the industry. Yep. And you guys are doing some fabulous things. Yep. I, I want to get into that. I want to mention something just on coaching. You know, when I reflect on just, you know, my career and people, uh, you know, Tony Robbins being that that influencer to us more on the personal side, and probably people see him maybe as motivator, but I think it's, you know, to have good mental health, to see yourself, to have good, you know, 
confidence, all those things that I think all of us as human beings, when we drop the ego, we all want it. So to have an opportunity to learn those things and then learn the business stuff. But when you combine them, what I could tell you now, and, and you know this, really, if, if you're going to change a business, you got to change the business owner. It's really, that's what I've done all this time. And that's what's so rewarding. If you could change somebody the way they think to give them skill sets, to empower them, they're going to change their business. It's very difficult to change the business without changing the person that owns and leads and manages the business. So for me, I got the opportunity to learn a lot of the psychology and the side of the things that hold us back. And I studied that the same time studied business. And now I think a lot of the things that I do in the sessions with my contractors, half the time it's getting them in the right state of mind. It's getting them to be, think about where they are and where they want to go and how we're going to do that and think outside the box. But a lot of it is personal, right? So as I'm listening to you, and we are going to have a blast because my brain is already going crazy. Um, I played golf last week with a bunch of hockey players. And, and one of them, the guy's name is Dale Talon, and he was the number two draft pick in the 1970 NHL draft. Played for, I think, 15 years in the NHL. And then he went on to be, I believe, president of the Chicago Blackhawks when they won their first cup in 2010. And then he was president of the Florida Panthers. And, and, and when he was coming out of, of uh, junior hockey, when he got drafted, he was going to be a golf pro. He was a scratch golfer, okay. incredible golfer. And the Vancouver Canucks made him an offer, and he says, ah, you know what, that's not enough. I'm going to go play golf. And they came back, and they made him a better offer, and so now he's a hockey player. But what he was saying is um, there's a guy named George Newton. I don't know if you've ever heard that name. Oh, yeah. Incredible Canadian golfer. Incredible golfer, yeah. Incredible. Great swing, um, very Hogan-esque. And he said, I played, when I was in Toronto, I played golf with George every day in the summer. Yep. And he goes, George would hit the ball, and he'd hit it so pure, it was unbelievable. And, he, and George would stand over the ball, and he'd say, TC, and then he'd hit it. TC, then he'd hit it. TC, then he'd hit it. And I go, TC, what's that? Total commitment. Yeah. And that was his trigger. Yeah. And how many times do you, and you're a great golfer, obviously, yep. how many times do we get over the ball and we're not Oh, it we're doesn't not matter committed. what your ability is, right? I mean, I saw a stat the other day, buddy, that Tiger Woods had missed the green 20% of the time from 100 yards and in over his career. I had to read it like six times. It doesn't seem right. No, so, that's a lot. Yeah, it's a lot, right? But it's not. The best golfers yeah, I know. don't commit to their shot. So TC is super powerful. I hadn't heard that. I've actually seen George. I knew Mo Norman and been to many of Mo's stuff back in the oh, day. Yeah. And, and Dale and I talked about Mo. Oh, incredible. Just cool stuff. But that, you know, both of them, total commitment to their shots. They, you know, kind of unorthodox. You know, there wasn't too many people from Canada known as golfers. So these guys have like blazed the trail and have done stuff that Others haven't, so I'm a huge fan, but I love that TC. I'm going to try that myself next week. But but it fits in business, too. And what you were, saying, what you were saying about um, going into a selling situation or just, just any business, like if you're, if you're a CEO or you're a builder dealing with a CEO, you've got to have total belief in yourself 100%. So, that, so that you can, you're dealing, our clients are worth tens, hundreds, even billions of dollars. Yep. Our contractors are dealing with these guys. And what does that client want? He wants to know that he's in good hands because he might try and micro it, micromanage it, but if he's in good hands, he'll throttle back a little bit and let the, the contractor do what they're supposed to do. Totally. It's kind of like you go and do, I've got a, I've got a client and her husband is a brain surgeon. Mm -hmm. He truly is the smartest guy in the room. Yeah. But you can't go and micromanage a brain surgeon. You have to have faith that you know what you're doing. Right. Yeah, you do. Sometimes that's scary, especially if we <laughs> got someone's live on the table there, but it's a whole different story. We went out for dinner with them. They're in Fort Myers, and she's just an awesome lady, and so Leslie and I have gotten to know them. And going out for dinner with a neurosurgeon is a little humbling because, yeah. I mean, the guy— and he's a super regular guy, funny, funny, funny. Right. And they love golf. Yeah. They're in Scottsdale right now playing golf. Sure. 
but it's, you know, it's all these interesting people that we run up against. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, uh, it's funny the the, the type of people that, that probably, um, are having these homes built that are, that are higher end remodels and yep. custom. So think of that kind of demographic, you know, everybody gets to that level. Um, and the one thing I've learned in the, in the last, you know, eight years working for Allaire Homes and, and seeing these clients and kind of the premium or luxury market, if you will, is the one thing that all of those homeowners have in common is they want their status to be protected. And I didn't know that when I was younger. I didn't know how important status was. And I didn't know that a lot of those people came from nothing. Nothing. And follow the train of thought here. If, if you came from nothing... And you work so hard to get where you are. As a human, your first thought is to protect what you already have. Yep. So you as a salesperson or, or a you business. you and I are throwing it all on red. <laughs> yeah. You, are, you, you, someone coming into their world and pitching them and, and hoping them to be your client. If you don't realize that they need to see you as somebody, at least on peer status, at least on their level, someone who's used to protecting people like them, you're never going to win. It's not about 27% or fixed price. It's not about all this other stuff. Right. It's about, can you protect my status? Now, it's not that way with a lot of the wealthy people that are 17th generation, right? Um, they, they didn't earn it, so they don't react that way. But for the most part, most of those people have earned their money. Most of it's not given, right? And so for them, it's really powerful that we, as business owners, working in their environment, to appreciate at the human level, let me first show you and demonstrate how I could protect your status and how I do it before I start getting into selling you. Make sense? Okay, Leslie, you need to write that down because that is so pivotal with our clients because our clients are all about, they are the best in the business. Yep. They've all been referred by each other. Yep. And when we were talking to our business coach, he goes, um, there's two ways to approach any relationship and there's obviously the, the opportunity for gain. Yep. And that's a one X and he goes, fear of loss is a five X. Right. True. So protecting status, that's a five X. That's, and it, it's, it, you have to learn it, but it, it, it's, it's not on the surface, but if you really watch and listen, that's yep. truly what motivates people. So if you're not acknowledging that and they don't feel that you've really missed out on a lot of the leverage. Right, if sales at the end of the day is a transfer emotion, but I don't feel that you could protect my status, the more you start selling me in this situation is the more I don't want it. And the reality is that people chase what moves away from them. Yeah. That's just that's how we are. Don't you wish you knew that in high school? Oh man, how I many wish more I knew dates a lot of the stuff we're got... talking about. <laughs> right. Man, just right. the ability to I, I was a late bloomer. I did not study. I didn't read. I didn't do the things. I don't do think you've things. fully come to fruition. Yet. Yeah. I mean, and so I'm, I'm later in life, you know, realizing these things. So, of course, I wish I would have known a lot of the things <laughs> at, at, a, at an earlier age. But, hey, we still got plenty more years to hopefully grow and learn and help other people. That's, that's what I'm motivated by every day I wake up and, uh, you know, just want to help people, want to move the needle, want to help somebody's life or business. So. The opportunity for me to work with contractors now at Alaire and guys that were already successful. The the, the guys here, the these are successful businesses at Alaire. You know, they're a lot of like your guys. They they're not coming here for to be fixed or be broke. They're coming to be a part of a network. A network that at this stage we can say pretty confidently, there's no way you could accomplish independently what you could accomplish with a group of like minded folks. It's it's just the reality has never been done in our industry. So people see a lair as this network and they, they see it as, well, that's weird. Isn't that a franchise model? We don't understand it. Yeah. It's, it's, it's foreign. And, and of course, you know, when we think of franchises, there might be a negative stigma to that, right? Because we think, uh, uh we don't have, uh, an experience of that. So we might not see uh, residential construction being franchised, so we would see that as a negative thing. But the reality is, uh, and we can get into a layer, but they're, you know, a little bit. But the, the reality is, franchising is just a business model, it's just a structure, right? The one thing that we know about all contractors is we have a little bit of ego. Yeah. And as business owners and contractors, of course, we want to own the business. <laughs> That's what we we're doing it for. It's not for, uh, you know, we want to make a profit. And so the franchise model gives people the opportunity 
to 100% own their business. And once we stumbled upon that backwards, which I can tell that story, we didn't start out to be a franchise, then we realized this is the structure that could bring us all together to share resources and truly work as if we were one team. Buying power, knowledge, relationships. Think of putting 120, soon to be 200, 300, 500 people, bringing all of that together. The result of that could never happen working independently. But this industry, as you know, doesn't really thrive on a lot of collaboration. It's, it's, it's a strange one, I have to be honest. And I don't want to throw the industry under the bus that we're in, buddy. But of all the industries I've been in, this one is really old school. It's kind of the way grandfather used to do it. And it's ironic, man, because that's how golf was. Very old school. And here I find myself in two of the industries that I've parked in for a number of years. They're, they don't quite see the collaboration or the innovation. So what Alaire's doing is very innovative. It's way out of the box. It's finding a way inside the industry for people to own their business, but work together to achieve something they couldn't on their own. What we decided to do was, this isn't for everybody. There's a select few. And people were first. We had to bring the right people, right values, right character. Otherwise, we're not going to all work together to protect what we have. So a lot of times, people aren't the right fit or match. They might be a great builder. They might build great work. But they're not a fit for our network to kind of build a tribe. And that word's corny to some people. I find that funny. We've built a tribe of like-minded people that all are going in the same direction. And the power, the momentum of that. Imagine working with five other build like magazine guys if it was possible. Right. I'll tell you a funny story, man. I can look just, at I, yeah. I look at a layer and I and there's so many um consistencies with that and Sotheby's. Very similar. We actually model them. And one of our, our partners, I think I introduced you to him, Byron Brooks, he started studying this in the beer industry, actually in microbrew. I think he might have yep. mentioned it to you. I, I found it. What's his podcast? Beers yeah, and uh, beers uh, and builders and brews. Yeah, yeah builders so it's, and it's brews. not a podcast; it's like events. But they put on to bring this collaboration. You know how he stumbled upon it. Ted was a beer drinker. Uh, he likes, you know, artesian beer. You know, handcrafted beers. And what he started finding as he learned more about beer is these guys totally share. So, for lack of names, we'll say Ted's beer. Yeah, Ted's beer is right around town from Adam's beer. <laughs> of course, they're head-to-head competitors. But yet, when Adam runs out of, you know, oh, no, malt or something, yep. they're sharing. They're running over there. They're doing recipes. So he found that out, and he realized, hey, here's an industry where they're doing it. Why couldn't we do that here? So our industry, and anybody listening would agree, has not been as collaborative as other industries, has not innovated as much. And the reason why I got involved with Alaire is because I saw that, that it was capable of. It hadn't been done, which is a great challenge. Nobody's built something like this of this size. And here we are now the largest custom home builder remodeler in the world. And we're all over North America and we're going to get bigger, but we're not out to be bigger. We're out to be the best. We're out to bring the best people to truly create a force and a tribe that can do something and leave a legacy behind. And you can't do that by letting the wrong people in. Well, I met your team. Leslie and I went over to the house after the IBS show last night. And it, well, I thought I was walking into an Amway meeting. I'm not going to lie to you, <laughs> right. but it was it was so awesome, and the people were awesome. And then you inducted. I don't think did you haze Kale at all <laughs> after he committed to coming on board. He was so excited, yeah, which is fantastic. But I look at it and I go, your culture is so impressive, and you had some dude, which to me the power of no. Yeah. You had some dude that was interviewed or talked to by six or seven of your other your other uh, builders that are part of the team. Yep. And they all said, no, this guy doesn't work. Yeah. And that's how we roll. You know, we really, that, that's awesome. people first. Yeah. One of the first things we, we, uh, we said um, that we were going to build a layer of the foundation on, and, and we were so all about the strategy. We, we knew we had to have killer strategies, but we realized uh, as the favorite, favorite uh, Harvard law professor uh, in business said, culture eats strategy for breakfast and we said it out loud to each other for the first year many times to just guide us this has to be about the right people has to yeah so we had to bring the right partners in and and continue that so now there's enough partners there's enough people that to know 
whether you belong or whether you don't. So it's funny. I, I say it to the guys sometimes and to the girls. We know who's going to be a part of us moving forward because if we open the door and they come in and they feel like they belong there, they don't want to go out. But if they want to go out, that's okay too. At the same time, as we grow, we know we're going to work with people like you and other people in the industry and everybody's going to be a part of a layer. We want the industry to be better, truly, all the people there. It's, it's, it's legit. We want the industry to be better. We'd like to be a force in the industry. We'd like to be a serious player and grow, but not everybody's going to be a part of us. We're not the right fit or match for everybody. Just like uh, all of our contractors out here listening, the right client isn't always the right fit or match. And so we're just trying to do what we can do. But at the end of the day, if we can make the industry better, give people a chance to all build their freedom. Well, that's a pretty cool legacy. How long do you, how often do you guys get together each year? Well, pre-COVID, we were getting together probably, uh, you know, every 90 days okay. at a national level um, or at a big regional level. We get together every year with the entire company. We have a conference, which is going to happen this year in May because of COVID. We've been two years out. So going and forward. in Victoria? Yeah, it's in Victoria on, on the island. So going forward, though, no COVID. Yeah, we'll probably have events, you know, every probably three to four months at moving them around and you know some people can make it some not but uh as we grow the network we're also growing the number of businesses suppliers vendors architects designers and so the alaire network is becoming a network inside of our industry but then there's other networks coming together and that's what we're working towards the next couple of years to have really fun events where people can get together collaborate innovate and feel a part of this if that means you're directly on the alaire team great if you're working with the alaire team or with build or something else, great. But that's that's kind of our mission and some of our focus over the next couple of years. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I'm I'm just there's some some companies out there that you guys need to know, uh, like Hammerton, uh, which is a light company, and they're out of Salt Lake City. Great people, and they're all hand blown custom wow. glass. Yeah, it's the only one in the country, I believe. And Bill and Nancy. Uh, shot are the owners and they're just they're fabulous people and i need to put you in touch with those guys because there are certain people that we deal with that really do stand out yeah i mean all our clients really stand out because that's why they're clients but yeah some are better fits than others and and some are just local and some are national like hammerton yeah and those guys are great and i and i just i love the vision of what you guys have so what is your mission yeah, I mean, the, the mission at Alaire, it's, it's challenging to put into words, uh, so I don't want to bore people and read okay. a mission statement, but I you know, I, I, for but me- from the heart. Yeah, because I think, you know, w- what people really want to have a mission is when you say those words is, can I see where you're going? Can I get on there? So I won't read. We have it in writing. Okay. I won't read it to you, but I'll, I'll share it with you from this. There's two sides of Alaire, right? There's the one side where clients truly need to live better in their home, so we want to protect them. Building a home and renovating a home is really hard. It's every time different. Every time you do it, different location, different time, diff- all these other things, it's, it's difficult for those people to achieve some type of living better. So we're super dedicated to that on a mission. How could we help you live a better, more productive, less challenging environment to your build so once you get into the home, you live better? And that's what Alaire was founded on. But as we started growing, we realized if we built better businesses with better people and better models and systems and work together to collaborate on all of that knowledge information, then we'd have a much more likelihood to reach the mission of helping those people live better. So funny. I'll tell you a quick story for those that don't know. Alaire Homes has a tagline. It's living better starts here. I've been you know, in the past worked for agencies and I had my own ad agency and I love copywriting. I've been doing it a long time. I did it with our president of Lair Homes right now, Rob Cecil. I was so stuck on this phrase, living better. At the end of the day, that's what it is, right? And he was so stuck. It starts here. Like if you're a client, you're going to start here. The phrase came out, living better starts here. It was a hundred percent focused on the client presented it in 2014 to the first conference, to the first Lair partners standing ovation. They loved it. They immediately saw it through their lens. Living better starts here with me and my business. And it's taken on a life of itself. So the living better tagline that never meant to be over there probably belongs more over there than over here. So we have a tagline that encompasses both sides of the business. 
people living in their home better, but people living better and getting the freedom because they're running a Love business it. Love it. that actually runs without them. It has an exit strategy. It can be sold. We've already done it. And the industry doesn't have that. If you own a business, oh, I know. it doesn't happen unless you sell it to your son or somebody in the business. And so Generational businesses are hard, especially in are. construction. Very hard. So that's our mission to not put it in yeah, you yeah. Know, corporate no, no, words, that's right? Yeah. That's what we're after. Yeah. I mean, our mission is simple, and that's to inspire wealthy people building and renovating high-end homes. There you go. That's it. That's simple. Yep. Or dream homes. Right. Um, so where do you see the future? Give me, give me five years for a lair. Like, you guys are really, I know that people laughed at Rob, just like you with your, which we told in the last podcast, which didn't record. <laughs> that's right. But you being such a stubborn entrepreneur about your 131 no's, yes. which you can tell in a minute because it is okay. a funny story. But with Rob starting the company in Nanaimo, and I know what it's like to start something. And people look at you like you got three heads. Oh, yeah. Well, we came into it. Alaire had already started. So Alaire was founded by two people, husband and wife, Blair and Allison McDaniel, hence the name. On a whim, they came up with the name. Blair was a framer, framing houses. Uh, he's from Toronto, Canada, but went out west to the boom in BC of commercial construction. And as a young kid, framing it was contract after contract. I mean, he was making a killing, and it was a heck of a business to be in. But as he got later into his 20s, realizing, like, I'm not sure I want to be, like, 40 years old standing. You know, framing's hard. Framing's <laughs> hard. Good money, really hard life. Yeah. So about that time, I believe um, his banker had reached out to him and said, hey, man, I want you to build my house. He's like, I don't build houses. I frame houses. No, he wouldn't take no for an answer. Uh, and Blair had thought, you know, I, I, I just I don't want to be a general contractor like what they deal with um, and change orders and everything, all that reaction stuff. I don't want to do it. So he thought about it. But again, his banker wouldn't say no. Uh, so he said, the only way I would build your house, if we truly treated it almost like a, a commercial construction project. We're going to have everything designed in advance on paper with plans, with scopes of work. Every single selection down to the paint color, trim, fixture, model will be selected before we start construction or I won't build. He said, fine. So that's what they did. And when you build like that, you dramatically reduce risk. Everybody knows. It's just hard to do. So he did. That project got him on the cover of a magazine. Okay. Now his aunt wants to build with him, built her house. And that's kind of how the story goes. He stumbled upon building for a friend. If you were to build it to eliminate all the headaches and hassles and risks for the client, but it's the same risk for the builder. We're starting construction too early. We're trying to figure out what it's going to cost, what we're going to get, and when it's going to be built before having the fundamentals of what it's going to be. So it's a profound moment. It's something now that we've trademarked called client control, which is basically put the client in control of the decisions. Let them make the important decisions in the build. And that's what makes us unique. But back to the story, he realized he's onto something here. This is truly how he would want his aunt to build his home, his own personal banker. And this is how other people should build. So he's onto something here. I think Blair got up to probably building 25 custom homes in a year at one point in one market, right? I mean, doing really good and high-end homes. That's a lot of a volume. a lot of volume and something not sustainable. So what does every successful business do once you get that first one up and running? You open a second one. Of course. Of course you do, and Why it fails miserably, doesn't it? <laughs> uh, so they opened a business uh, in Victoria, about an hour and a half away, yep. and it didn't fail miserably. It was great, but those super raving fan clients on the cover of the magazine and five referrals for every job, those weren't happening down in Victoria. And they couldn't figure it out until probably it was too late. And that was, they didn't have skin in the game. It's a lot different when somebody has skin in the game. It's something I teach all the time. I think every business out there, if you have employees, you, you want to get them skin in the game. It's a different vibe. You want to build a tribe. You want to build loyalty. People need to have skin in the game. And it's not just the money. It's the fulfillment you get by being formally, legally, a part of something. Okay. And, uh, and so that didn't happen. And do you they have had that a, at the lair? I do. Yeah, all of us do. We just moved the entire company in that direction. So the accountant that I met last night from Nanaimo? Has an opportunity to reap in the growth of Allaire, and it's something we just pulled off in the, in the last couple of months, and we're super excited about it. Great question. 
uh, want to make the point back where we just were, and I forgot. <laughs> well, you talked about uh, it failed miserably because nobody had skin in the game. Yeah. So it it didn't fail. We had probably satisfied clients, but they weren't raving fan. But the reason why the business didn't thrive and achieve what the other location is because Blair wasn't there, the person driving it every yep. day. Yeah. So that office folds. We we decide to close it. It's not going to work. And Blair had a friend approach him that was going to open their general contracting business in Edmonton with or without Blair. And he just thought to himself, like, but why would you do that? We have like three people here. Why wouldn't we just share in the costs and just call it a lair too? Why not? He didn't have a name. He's like, okay, yeah, I'll be a lair Edmonton. They never had one idea this was a franchise. Didn't even what, even what a franchise was at the time, other than maybe, you know, like knowing like we all sure. think of franchises. So it didn't dawn on him until that guy's business, uh, his name's Jamie, our first franchise. Is he still around? He's not. He unfortunately passed away uh, just a couple oh. years ago. And I miss him like crazy. Jamie Affleck, legend for Allaire. Um, But he opened a business and he was able to achieve what took Blair years to do in the first two years. So it was just a rinse and repeat, the same yep. process, same systems. And that thrived. And it wasn't until Blair read an article on a plane, I think he was reading about massage envy i remember the company now huge out of arizona actually huge they yep. opened a thousand franchises like in three years i think they broke the record of franchising it was incredible and so he read this article about the ceo how he did it so blair cold calls the ceo and he tells him what he's doing the guy's like do you realize you're franchising you're like running a franchise he's like no well this is brilliant he thinks why haven't you done this but like why hasn't residential construction done this before and he's like i don't know so here we are. We've backdoored into a franchise just by logical. Hey, buddy, you're going to open. Why don't we share the costs? Why don't we work with the same people? Why would you go recreate the wheel? Do what I'm already doing, and it works. But now we have to legally structure the franchise which and get into it, which pain. is a major undertaking. But with all the research um, and a big, bold vision and mission, Blair did it. And then uh, Rob Cecil and I got involved a couple years later. Uh, when we came to Allaire, there was eight offices today. There's, you, you know, 100 and some partners. Yeah, yeah. yeah. so it's, uh, it's grown quite a bit in the last eight years. And you asked me five years out, where are we going to be? I think we'll be the dominant force in our industry. I think you'll see a lot of people copying what we're doing. I think the entire industry is going to drastically shift. I think most contractors will buy most product direct from manufacturers and suppliers. I think you'll see most contractors uh, that can't make it uh, won't make it anymore. I think you're going to see a lot of consolidation. I think you'll see companies franchising and really doing our model. I think you'll see a lot more pre-planning construction where you're paying for time and not a lump sum. A lot of the things that are kind of our secret ingredients, if you will, that many of the best builders are already doing, I think that'll become the custom and the norm. So five years from now, I think you'll see a number of brands like Allaire that are having people bind together. But I'm, I'm confident that we'll be, we'll be the one that stands out, and it's because of our people and our values. Well, there's no question. I truly believe you've got safety with your culture because it does all start with a phenomenal team. And I'm a big believer because I love sports. Yep. You look at organizations like the Dallas Cowboy. Well, that's a bad one, but uh, New England Patriots was the one I sure. was thinking of. Yep. They succeed because they have incredible leadership starting at Robert Kraft. That's right. And then you look at the Detroit Lions. They're always horrible because their leadership, the Ford family, they're awful. At that's what, right. Just get out of the way. Yeah. That's hard to do as a leader. That takes a, takes a serious discipline, and, uh, but it needs to be done. You're not going to get there on your own if you don't empower good people to, and give them a piece of the pie, give them some skin in the game. It's just going to take a lot longer to get there. Every business I've ever been around, Ted, in every industry that thrived had some type of skin in the game in the end. There's something there. It's the hardest thing to do as a business owner to give up a piece of your it is. thing. But the reality is if you want those people to be there, it's the most fulfilling thing you could ever do. So it's the same question as entrepreneurs. We have to ask ourselves, do we want to hold the big piece of a small pie? Or do we want to go a big ass pie and yeah. have a small piece that's very rewarding? It's a no brainer. The more you have to train, recruit, and retain people over time, the more you do that and realize how hard it is, the more you open up your mind to not playing that game and giving people the opportunity to be with you forever by giving them skin in the game. Yeah. So eight years with the lair. Yep. 
And obviously you're having a blast. Yeah, I love it. I, I probably wouldn't want to be doing anything else other than maybe playing golf every day. How's but... your golf game? <laughs> <laughs> it's not as good as it once was, but I still I'm a low single digit handicapper and in the in the in good season form I'm I'm uh, pretty competitive, but nowhere near gonna uh, play pro ever again. But at one time I did, you know, I, I wanted to be a pro and was in the golf business for a while and and I miss it, but uh, I like where I'm at. This this business has attracted the right people into my life and the right right type of values, and it, it's it's contagious. When you get around the right people, you were there last night. It, it's fun, oh, you yeah. know. It makes you makes you believe of what's possible. And there's so much negativity around the world and the news. It's nice to be around like minded people that motivate you or inspire you to be better. You know. Well, I heard I read something interesting um, yesterday, and I and I specifically don't uh, get political, which is everything seems to be political and you know we're all bad people and all this stuff so i don't choose to go down that road because i i'm a firm believer that um all you have to do is look in the mirror and you can determine your own destiny right and we can always talk about roadblocks i tell i think i've said this story in one other podcast you'll laugh when i tell you this okay my kids love this story honey do you know what story i'm going to tell so when I was, I graduated from school, high school in Toronto, and I was not the best student. I was pretty high up on the fun factor, but I wasn't the best student. <laughs> and so I go to university up in Toronto and I get uh, seven Fs, two Ds, and a C. So okay. I basically flunked out. Yeah. And then I worked for six months and, and um, I don't know if you know a guy named Bob Murphy, but he used to play on the uh, PGA Tour. Oh, yeah. That. Legend on the Champions Tour. Yeah. He had the late so, late bloomer Bob for sure. So Murph was, I was, I was uh, working at a restaurant and I'd been there for seven years. And Murph and Dale Douglas and their wives came into the restaurant every year for the Canadian Open because yeah. I lived in Oakville, which is where the Canadian oh, yeah. Open was. Sure. So I get to know these guys and and I'm telling Murph, I go, yeah, you know what? I just feel like I want to give golf a try and I really want to go to college in the states and and uh, and I and I. If I didn't make it, I wouldn't, at least I wouldn't have any regrets. I, I gave it a shot. Um, and if it didn't work out, it didn't work out. So Murph goes, okay, here is a dozen schools. Here's their golf course, golf coach, um, contact them and use my name. Just tell them that you're a friend of mine and that I'm, I've recommended you. So 11 of them, I didn't hear from. And one I did Georgia Southern, which isn't too far from where you live. Yep. Um, they emailed me back and they go, uh, Hey, yeah come on down, love to have you play. And I literally, um, just before I went down, I shot 65, which is my lowest score wow. to date. Bogey free 65. Great round. And a uh, long time ago. And yeah. <laughs> uh, so, so, so I go down, but my, my grades are so bad from college, I couldn't get admitted. And so they said, just write an essay. And I go, no, I'm not going to write an essay. I'm going to get in my mom's uh, Firebird, which was James Garner, Rockford Files. That was <laughs> oh, the man. car. Love that. And my mom goes, okay, well, I'll go with you. And it's a 17 hour drive. So we drive down and I meet with the assistant Dean and I, to meet with the Dean of admissions, it takes me a while. And he is the, um, um, he is a golf junkie and Statesboro is a small town. I mean, oh, yeah. it's like 15,000 people. Right. <laughs> so I'm talking to him and I go, you know, I know I didn't do very well in school last year, and I just, I just think that everybody, if when you're driving down the road, we came down here, there's a bunch of potholes, and there's roadblocks, and you could make a choice, and you could turn around and go home, or you could take a detour and get back on the road. Last year was a detour, and now, and and to my point, I ended up graduating in four years, and I graduated with decent grades because I was to a point where I was serious about it. Mm -hmm. And my kids laugh and they go, dad, you went from an 04 to, to a, <laughs> but it's so true. You've got to have some failures in life. Of course. And if you don't have any failures, you don't appreciate the victories. Oh yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. It's okay to fail. It's really just feedback. Yeah. That's all it is. Yeah. Okay. But so it, tell the story about, uh, how hard headed you are and stubborn. <laughs> all right. So this is round two. So might not be as dramatic as the first one, but I'll give it a shot. So. Um, I was in uh, university for, for seven years. So I was on the six to seven year plan. And uh, when I got out, uh, my dad knew that I still wanted to, to probably turn pro. 
and uh, play golf competitively. And so he he bought me, I don't know at the time, probably three thousand dollars worth of equipment in like nineteen ninety six, ninety seven. So this is this is a lot of money. I mean, I had the best stuff there was, um, bag, shoes, gloves, balls. Every I went in and bought everything, and it was so cool to achieve that. And uh, a couple months later, I'm working a job downtown uh, for the government. Uh, it's not a fun job. It's an hour and a half to work every day in the morning, hour and a half home, and people that just don't like me. So I'm, I'm changing the software on people's computers of government workers, most of them at the age of retirement, and they are so confused by what's happened on their computer. It's so different that it's not comfortable. So they hated me. So I hated my job. I did this for like four months, and I finally was like, I just can't do this. So take the day off work of just pure stress, and I'm thinking, I've got to do something. It's May, and I've got to do something for my dad. He's been so good to me, and he bought me this you know, great amount of, of golf equipment when I graduated college, and I want to do something fun, but he has everything. There's nothing I can buy him. that He, he doesn't need anything. And so I realized... Let's try a father-son golf tournament. That'd be really fun for him. It'd be fun for me. I thought pretty quickly, let me just find one. And that's when I realized I couldn't find all the phone numbers to the local golf courses. Some of the names were in names of a neighborhood. They were in names of a park. They weren't to get the number to get the tee times. So this is pre-internet, right? There's, there's nothing like the internet exists. So you're looking in the yellow pages. You're looking at a phone book. And so it took me, believe it or not, nine hours of calling and calling and calling to get on the phone with the golf course and signed me and my dad up for a father-son golf tournament. By the end of the day, I had an idea. I can't be the only one doing this. So my dad comes back from his trip, and I said, Dad, I got the good news and the bad news. Well, give me the bad news first. And the bad news is that I quit my job. Oh, my gosh. Okay, well, then what's the good news? The good news, I'm starting a golf magazine. I'm going to live here for the next year, and you're going to support me. <laughs> he laughs and says, what do you know about golf magazines? And I said, nothing. Well, what do you know about publishing? Nothing. What do you know about the printing or designing of this? Nothing. But I know golf and I know other people want to reach golfers like me. So he says, all right, so let me get this straight. Um, do you have investment money? I said, no. No, I've got about 2000 bucks." He said, yeah, that's not going to cut it. And he said, I I'm not going to invest in this. I'm just not. So it was pretty straight up, but I'll support you. So I just don't understand how you're going to do it. I said, it's pretty simple, man. I'm going to go out. I'm going to show them my magazine. He said, which doesn't exist. You're going to show them what doesn't exist. And then they're going to pay you the money so you can pay your designer, pay the printer, and then give them the magazine with their ad in it. And I said, yeah. That's when he said, well, good luck with that. <laughs> so I go out super confident. I'm 24 years old. I'm bulletproof. Yeah. I, I, there's nothing that can stop me truly at this time. Uh, every single person tells me I'm an idiot. That's not going to work. You shouldn't do it. It won't work every single day for months and months and months. But I'm out here. Passion as can be doing the best I can to try to close the first advertisers of what is now called pros and hackers magazine. Go out there first couple weeks. Don't get anybody, not one, 20 no's. Okay, well, clearly just haven't talked to enough people, right? Sales is a game of numbers. That's what the books I read tell me. Well, let me go get 20 more. Another 20 no's, I'm 0 for 40. Well, let me change my pitch. My dad's a national sales manager. He coaches salespeople early. What am I doing wrong? What do you do when you show up? What's the last thing you do? When do you say this? How do you say it? I role played with him. He tuned me up, went back out there. It was a little better. But now it was, yeah, this is pretty cool. Let me talk with my partner. A different type of objection. I started, no, you got to get a follow-up meeting. Okay, get the follow-up meeting. So I'm now 60, 70, 80 in, knows. I've tweaked my pitch. I'm trying to improve my skill. But at the end of the day, people just aren't going to spend money on something that's not proven to a young kid they just met that happened to knock on their door. But that wasn't good enough for me. I needed more. So I went back out and set more appointments and got ultimately 131 no's. I kept track of it because my dad said we won't be able to manage what we don't measure. So write down the appointments, look back, we'll have a log, and we'll see how we improve over time. 
But at 131 knows, man, I'm weeks into this thing. Everybody around me, nobody believes it, maybe even including my dad. Now, the one person that believed it, me, Doesn't might believe not it. believe it. <laughs> right? so, here I am. You might be out. Yeah, I, I'm about to tap out. And <laughs> dad comes in and he's like, what's the matter? And being an emotional person, I just, I just lost it, Ted. I mean, I cried like a little baby. And he cried and he said, man, I am so proud of you. I mean, 131 no's, like that was impressive. And I told you in our other podcast, I couldn't do that again, man. That, that at 24, you know, I mean, that's a long time ago for you and I. That, that's incredible to have that, like, it's the word, like the chutzpah, the, just yeah. the, the drive. Like, it's just incredible, you know, and, and, and people beat you down, but it just, like, you just got back up stronger. So he just says, hey, man, let's have a beer. Go check the mail. Uh, who cares? We'll do something else, man. I just love the fact that you tried. So I'm literally giving up. I go out, check the mail, come back. There's a letter. It's a short little letter, and it says, Dear Adam, uh, you visited me uh, a couple weeks ago, and you pitched me on this Pros and Hackers magazine, and I told you no because my partners won't invest in something that's not proven. But the more I thought about you, the more I thought about somebody believed in me, and if they never did, I wasn't going to get there. So here's a $5,000 check for the biggest double truck ad in your magazine. So within the matter of seven minutes, we're crying about <laughs> failure. <laughs> The guy that was the most confident kid that you've ever met now doesn't believe. And now he believes as a, a roller coaster of seven minutes. So I'm back out there the next day, close the deal. Why? Because you I had believed. believed. Yeah. And I used that reference. He believed in me. And I showed the letter to every single person. I changed my pitch from don't advertise in pros and hackers. Believe in me like this guy. And they did. That's an awesome story. I closed 50 some thousand dollars worth of advertising, got all the money up front without ever showing them the ad, paid the design, paid the printer, then delivered the copies and built credibility that way. I turned that magazine, which to be fair, nothing like those of you listening like build, let's call it a newsletter at best. Then it became a little bit more of a nice color directory that became a magazine that became a pretty well-established regional golf magazine. Spun that off into a radio show with ESPN. We started launching events. And so we were doing this multimedia stuff, the same thing that you and I geek out when we're not on air, the same thing you're doing now with Build. I was doing that at a time prior to YouTube, prior to the internet. Then we built a website and trying to tie that together and bringing that value back. And it's so funny, years go by, never thought I would have gotten back into the media business, but here at Allaire, as you know, we've just launched a magazine. We've launched a YouTube channel. So it's so cool to be able to collaborate with somebody like you. I'm using the skills. This is, you know, 25 years ago and bringing it back into a new industry to lower, to raise our brand. Lair wants to be a lifestyle brand. We are going to be. So in order to do that, we have to have those products to create that atmosphere, if you will. I love it. Yeah. So 131 knows, man. It is no joke. I, I, I don't know how I could ever That's do that obscene. again. Yeah, it's obscene. And I, it was a breakthrough moment, though. I know a lot of your show is about the American dream, it's and there's American, a moment. Yeah. That, that was the moment, buddy. That moment, that seven minutes would have completely changed my life. If I hadn't gotten the letter, I would have not ever gone out and got 132. Right. Never. I, I truly was given up. I'll be honest. I, I know. I, I, my ego was way bigger uh, than, than it is now at the time. But even still then, I was defeated. So it's a story of, of, you know, willpower, I guess, and a story of things happen for a reason. Well, and, and, and as I told you when we are talking about the whole premise of the podcast, I just look at it as we're wrapping up. I just look at it in today's environment um, that the American dream is more than alive and that if people are just willing to go out there and work, they can't expect it to fall in their lap because, A, there's no sort of satisfaction to it, and yep. B, you know, just like just like the, me flunking out like a bonehead, seven Fs, two Ds, and a C, that's not very good numbers, uh, to go down and graduate and you to have 131 no's, what are the stories? I, I just, all of us in our lives, what are the stories we think of? We don't talk about the successes. We talk about the tough times that we had to go through in order to get to the successes. Right. 
You know, I think of I think of Tiger Woods at the U.S. Open in 2008 when he beat Rocco Mediate. Yeah, incredible. And he made that 12-footer at Torrey Pines on the 18th hole to force a playoff. He willed that into the hole. Truly willed it. But if he didn't have the belief, and Jack Nicklaus used to win tournaments, he would beat his competitors. He beat Tom Weiskopf every time before they even teed off because Tom didn't believe he could beat Jack. That's right. And, and then that identity just grew to where Jack was intimidating, just like Tiger was. Everybody right. believed he couldn't be beat. Right. Incredible. And, and and so so I just I look at it, and obviously, look at how good your life is. What are you most proud of? The ability to make other people live just a little bit better. Just every day I get up, I hope I can have a positive impression on somebody. I'm in a position of, as a leader of, of a lot of people. I'm in a position to coach people, to train people on my team. And uh, every day, just try to give a little back what's been given to me, a little bit of mentorship, a little bit of wisdom, a little bit of positivity. Uh, you hear me say things to my team, to my kids all the time. You got this. You can do it. I'm super positive. I didn't used to be. But over the years, you, you, you read enough, you study enough, and you have things happen and you realize you could be a force for others. You yeah. could help other people if yeah. you're committed to it. So I'm most proud that I've stuck this out, the ability to be able to be who I am and be able to give back. And so I might have those conversations uh, with somebody like you, with somebody uh, that maybe works with us. Maybe uh, it might be with my kids or one of my kids' friends. Uh, but at the same time, uh, everybody wants to improve their life. Everybody wants to, to be better in some way. And so uh, at the same time, I'm trying to give back. I'm also continuing to learn. I read books all the time. I listen to a lot of stuff and I just want to find ways to improve. If I can make myself better, maybe I can hopefully make a bigger impact and, and leave a legacy behind that uh, I can be proud of. Well, man, I appreciate you taking an hour and well, an hour and a half because we did script the first 30 minutes. Um, <laughs> But it's awesome, and I can't wait for the next stage of what you and I are going to do because I'm me excited too, about that. It's, it's it, such it's a fun. treat to meet you. It is, likewise, man. I thank you for having me on the podcast. I feel like I've known you for years, <laughs> and we truly met like 24 hours ago. I this know. is being recorded. <laughs> I, know. I know. So thanks, hey, bud. Hey, brother. Thank you. Appreciate and you. Uh, wait for another episode of Friends of Build Magazine. Thanks for listening. I'm Ted Bainbridge. And it's been my pleasure to have Adam McKay on from Allaire Homes. Bye. Thanks so much for listening. If you've enjoyed the show, please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And leave us some feedback. We'd love to hear from you. You can find everything discussed in this episode and more in our show notes below. I'm Ted Bainbridge, and you've been listening to Friends of Build Magazine Podcasts.